Morning, all. Were you expecting an explosion at the end of that? Sorry. We're all fuzz and no pop there at the end. Sorry. Welcome. It's great to see you today. Um, it is going to warm up Tuesday. Tuesday's when spring comes and the rest of the week. So be encouraged. Yeah, this snow in April is not good. Mother Nature's confused. But we'll, we'll get through it. We're hardy Hoosiers. It's all good. Uh, thanks for uh, being here this morning. We're continuing the series we've been on now for a few weeks on hot topics. Today I want to ask the question, is heaven real? Uh, it's an important question, a pertinent question in our culture right now. If you check with Amazon, you'll find that there are over 50 books now currently recently published on the subject of heaven. So people are writing about it, talking about it, thinking about it. And so today I want to just uh, look at the scripture and see what God has to say about a place called heaven. I hope you'll be encouraged by it. And so um, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to use our text today from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 21. I'm going to read the first eight verses there from Revelation 21. As you're turning there, let me just reference another text that uh, is my favorite book on heaven. It's written by the, an author named Randy Alcorn. The book is simply entitled Heaven, and you can find that online, of course. Randy took um, 140 different books that have been written over the last 200 years and compiled the documentation from all of the uh, theological and speculative aspects of heaven, put it in one book called Heaven. It's a, it's a good read. So I recommend that too if you'd like to have more information about the subject. Today though from Revelation 21, I'm going to read these first eight verses. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for standing. This comes from John the Apostle on the island of Patmos received this incredible revelation from God. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And may God inspire us today and instruct us through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. One of the most iconic movies of all time is The Wizard of Oz. Most of us have seen the original Wizard of Oz probably multiple times. After all of Dorothy's adventures in the movie, she comes to the end of the movie and she clicks her heels together and she recites a statement that all of you are familiar with. And she says it three times. Let's all say it together. You ready? There's no place like home. 
there's no place like home. There's no place like home. It's true, isn't it? There's no place like home. Home is where you belong. Home is where you fit. Home is where the people you love and cherish are found. Your style is there. Your environment is there. Uh, It suits you. You know, you have peace there. When all is well at your house, there's peace and wonder and a settling. There's a contentment that's found at home. The old hymn writer said it this about the world. He said, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Can you hear the tune with that maybe? This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Yeah. The Bible teaches that God has prepared a place for us, a home, if you will, in a place called heaven. It's a place where we will fit, we'll be suited, we'll settle in, we'll have peace there. There will be wonder there for heaven. So questions are raised about heaven. Will heaven be an actual place or is it merely a state of mind? Another question that comes up is what will we look like in heaven? I mean, if you die when you're nine years old, will you be nine years old forever? Or if you die at 90 years old, will you be 90 years old forever? It's a good question. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas believed, speculated that we'll all be 33 years old in heaven. Just like Jesus. 33. That works for me. I could use 33 right now myself. It'd be just fine. Will it be boring? I mean, eternity is a long time. I mean, what, what are we going to be doing? Uh, will there be animals in heaven? People are curious about that because, you know, if, if my dog isn't there, that just won't be right. My cat. Yeah. Where will you live in heaven? A mansion? Condo? Apartment? Dormitory? Let's hope not. Let's hope it's not a dorm. A hut? <laughs> it's a good question. And who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to go and why? These are, these are great questions. Now, I think heaven has been mischaracterized over, over the years. For example, the idea that you'll be floating around like an angel, you know, in the clouds, strumming a harp with a goofy look on your face. I don't think that's it. That's, in fact, that's not even close. Uh, some people think maybe it's just kicking back, sipping iced tea, you know, forever, hanging out. Probably not. Some people uh, think that it's just one big, long worship service. It just never ends. If heaven is nothing but one big, long worship service, I don't know. I'm not going to say any more about that. But home is where you thrive. Home is where, where you come alive. Home is where you're most yourself and most fruitful and most content. That's what home is. And I think that's what heaven is. It's a place where we can thrive to be our very best of our potential. You remember in Genesis 1 and 2, the very first chapters of the Bible, we see Adam and Eve in this perfect place, this paradise, the Garden of Eden. And it was perfect. And it was only until sin entered the world that death came into the world. And it was only until the fall of man that corruption came to the earth itself. So Adam and Eve were perfect and in a perfect environment. But when they sinned, they began to die. The wages of sin is death. And that's when the earth began to suffer as well. That's why we have natural disasters now, because the world is a corrupt, fallen world in which we live. The environment is corrupted. That's why we have typhoons and hurricanes and floods and tornadoes and snow on the ground in April. It's just not right, because the earth is confused about what's happening. And, of course, we know that Christ has come to restore humanity. And we know that Christ has come to bring human beings back to original design, original intent by, 
by, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he has brought restoration and redemption to us as humans. And as the scripture unfolds, we discover that not only are human beings going to be restored to our original state of perfection, but we also know that the earth itself is going to be renewed. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that we will live in forever. So this notion of floating around, loafing around in some disembodied spirit is not a concept that we find in Scripture. In fact, there's going to be a future earth. Revelation chapters 21 and 22 teaches us that there's a new heaven and a new earth, uh, this place where, where heaven will literally come down to the earth and we will experience God's presence forever. Now, let me just uh, help us define what this is going to look like. And we can learn this from Revelation 21 and 22. It's on your outline. I have three statements I want to make that will help us identify or define what heaven will be like. And the first one is this. It will be a lot like the new me. A lot like the new me. Think about that. As man was in the garden, as I mentioned, so was the earth, you know, pristine. But as man fell, so did the earth fall. But the promise of Scripture is that as man will be, when God restores and redeems us finally, so the earth will be restored as well. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reminds us that we have taken on the corruption of the first Adam who sinned, and now we inherit from him this tendency to die. But we also will take on the attributes of the second Adam, who we know is Jesus, and that we will assume the same kind of life that he has assumed now in his post-resurrection body. You'll remember that after Jesus raised from the dead, he was walking, he was talking, he was conversing, he was, he was, he was eating, he was doing all, all the things that we do, and yet his body was glorified. It was, it was spiritual in nature. It was immortalized. And we too will take on that same kind of likeness as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15. In Revelation 4 and 5, we see all kinds of of uh, wonderment and excitement and celebration and and there's lights and there's and there's smoke and there's glory and there's there are choirs and there's pyrotechnics of all sort and variety all kinds of noise and lots of lots of sound and i'm sure heaven from time to time will be like that but i don't think that's going to be heaven all the time i imagine that heaven will be a place where we are suited where we are comfortable where where it feels normal to us in lots of ways, only much, much better than anything we've ever, ever experienced. It's going to be a perfect environment. The Apostle Peter actually talked to the people that he ministered to in the first century, and we see this uh, recorded in the, in the epistle of Second Peter in the New Testament. And this is a period of time when the, the first Christians in the, in the first century were actually under heavy persecution. It was very difficult for them, and many of them were suffering and dying for their faith, and they were losing hope in the return of Christ. In the first century, the, the believers believed that Jesus was coming back any second. We know he left, and he's coming again, and they thought, well, yeah, okay, in our lifetime, he's coming, and they were wearing out in their hope for Jesus coming because the persecution was so intense and so they appealed to their leader Peter for for answer to this and that's why he wrote and I'll put this on the screen for you he said the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance so in other words God God is not finding any pleasure in the judgment of the wicked at all 
Peter says the reason the Lord tarries, the reason he hasn't returned is because he wants everybody to be included. And that's, I hope you'll let that soak in. God wants everybody in the world to live with him. God wants everyone in this room right now to live with him in eternity. And that's his hope for you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. So it'll be a lot like the new me. And then second of all, it's on your outline there, it will be a lot like the first earth. The first earth. Now remember, the first earth was beautiful. It was fruitful. There was water, animals, harmony, peace, no debt, no curse, no shame, no sorrow, no pain. Adam and Eve had meaningful work to accomplish. Make the application. Adam and Eve were told to prepare, to create, to think, to explore, to manage, to produce. There was intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. Make, make the connection then to what eternity will be like. God's first creation of environment was a place where people could thrive. It was an actual place in the presence of God with work to do. They had capabilities. There was beauty. It was a perfect relational order. The new earth will be like that, only different and infinitely better. That's why Jesus came along in John 14 and reassured people that he was preparing a place. This passage in John 14 is often quoted in, at funerals to give people in grief the hope that they need. Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also. And, and Thomas picks up and says, well, wait a minute. We don't, we don't, we don't, know, we don't, we don't know the way. Where are you going? We help us know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. And so he, he was clear about this and offered hope that there is a place waiting for us. Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's what he means by that. And so it'll be a lot like the first earth. Then the third point that I want to make is that it will be infinitely better because of, because of new things. Let me mention a few things that will be new. One, A, you'll have a new kind of relationship with God. New kind of relationship with God. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven, new earth, the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God his dwelling, his dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now what we know right now is that in our earth suits, in our physical bodies, we can't see God. God is not, God is not physically present with us. God is, God is apart from us. He's in, he's in another place in heaven, if you will, at the abode of God. But what the Bible promises is that in eternity, when we're out of our earth suits and we are, we are in a different spiritual form, that we'll be able to see God. 
And, and theologians have actually coined a term for this over the centuries. They call this the beat, uh, uh, beatific vision. In other words, when we see God face to face, we'll, we'll be transformed into, great, into the image of God. We'll be more and more like God when we see him face to face. Right now we know no man can see God and live. If, you, if God would to reveal himself to us in these earth suits right now, we would, just, we would vaporize. It would be way too much power, way too much voltage, way too much energy for our physical bodies to endure the presence of God. But there, we will actually be more and more like him. There will be no more days of wondering about God's will for your life, no more wondering about God's intention or God's design or God's direction. There will be no more confusion about what is the truth, you know, what about that question or what about that why issue. All of these things will, will be answered. There, we won't be getting garbled notes from God anymore. I mean, I don't know about you. This is how I receive from God. How do you know God's will? I get garbled notes. <laughs> Some, and, you know, I have to decipher it and, and wrestle with it because it's not clear. But then it'll be clear. See, there will be, there'll, there'll be no relational distance between us and God. There will be no spatial distance between us and God. We'll be there together. So you have a new kind of relationship with God. It's really good. And then the second thing, it's under B, you'll have a new kind of relationship with your past. Now listen to me, friends. All of us have a past. You have a past. I have a past. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a narrative, right? And here's, here's the truth. We've all made mistakes. Everyone in this room today suffers to one degree or another the consequences of bad choices, of bad decisions, of bad mistakes. We all get that. We, we, live, we, we live with the burden of that. Some of us, we have caused our, our own pain. And others of us, our story is others have caused our pain. Things that have happened to us that weren't our fault have happened to us and, and hurt us, damaged us, wound us. And the world itself is a corrupt place. It's a fallen world. Bad stuff happens sometimes to good people. Things you can't even explain. Why would that happen? There's no answer for those questions right now. So we live in this world that just pounds us. And we compound it with our own rebellion toward God as well. And so here's what I'm saying to you. This is, I want to encourage you right now for a moment. What we learn here is that, is that all of the consequences of sin, all the consequences of evil in our world, in your life and for all of mankind, watch this, are going to be removed. All of that's going to be gone. Revelation 21, 4 and 5, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. What do you think that means? You just won't be sad anymore? No, it means everything that would make you cry, weep, and sorrow and grief and pain, he's going to wipe all of that away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy. They're true. So think about this. Think about it. No abuse, no control, no terrorism, no regrets, no betrayal, no divorce, no failure, no disappointment. Never again will you experience the painful emotion of rejection. Not ever. No more greed, no more murder. Can you imagine no more addictions, no more people pleasing, no more workaholism? No more addiction to food or sex or chemicals. No more. No more accidents. 
No more pressure. No more prejudice. No more racism. No more poverty. No more injustice. No one will ever be neglected again. Wow. No more death. No more temptation. No more fear. No more shame. God's going to make everything new. Heaven is a great place. How many of you want to go to heaven? Let's just all go. Let's just all go. What a great place. Me too. I want to go. You have a new kind of relationship with God, infinitely better because you have a new relationship with the sins of your past. All of those are removed. So it's a great thing. Now here's another thing. See, you'll have a new kind of satisfaction. Now I'm about to help someone right here. Revelation 21, 6 and 8 says, He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And watch this phrase. See it on the screen? To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now watch this. Everybody gets thirsty, right? Everybody gets thirsty. We need water to survive. But there is a thirst of the soul that is also a reality in our lives. Let me explain it. People thirst for significance. People thirst for safety, right? People, people thirst for love and acceptance and fulfillment. And it's all good. It's God-given that, that thirst is there, given by God, so it's natural to, to want it. And, and when, we, when we live in the world, the world says, now wait a minute, I know you want love, acceptance, satisfaction, safety, forgiveness, you want all that stuff, but listen, you don't measure up, you're never going to be fulfilled. You know, if you, don't, if you don't achieve a certain income level or educational level or live on the right side of town or achieve some kind of social status, then you're never going to reach it. And so the world continually pushes us down. C.S. Lewis added to this whole notion when he, when he reminded us that when fame or celebrity and money and success and looks and our gifts and art or music or athletics or something like that allows us to achieve success or reach a certain goal, he said when, when in life you actually set a goal and you meet that goal, you know, you get to the top of the pile, and you actually get there, he said, he said that we all have the same strange experience, even when, even when we get to the top. He said, and all of us have the same, same experience. And he said, it's this, the feeling that something is missing. And isn't that true? I mean, okay, I'm going to buy that new car, and I dream about it, and I save for it. I'm going to get that car. And then you get the car, and that feeling, or, or that new relationship. You know, if I could just get in, a, in that, that special relationship, and once I get in that relationship, then I'm going to be satisfied. Or in my business, if I can just achieve that amount of market share, if I could just get, you know, 5% of the market share, that, then my business would be successful. And you actually achieve market share. Or you're going to have a baby. Yeah, when, we have, when we have a baby, we start a family. That's when I'm going to be satisfied in life. And you all know how it goes. Sometimes it lasts a day. Sometimes it lasts a week. Sometimes it lasts a few months. But sooner or later, you know what happens to us. At some point, we begin to have these thoughts. There must be something more. 
there must be something else. There must be someone else. And we realize that something is missing. Here's what God promises in the new heaven and the new earth. He said, your thirst is going to be quenched. Your thirst is going to be quenched. You will be, for the first time in your existence, actually, utterly, fully satisfied. <laughs> How great is that? A new kind of satisfaction. I think there are going to be benefits from that we can't even comprehend. John does remind us in the last verse of Revelation 21, 6 and 8, that there will be those who reject this offer of, of satisfaction and will not be allowed into this special place called heaven. And we're going to talk about that next week around the question of what about hell. But today, let me just move to this, uh, this fourth benefit, better because of new things. And under D, there will be a new city and people to enjoy. I'm talking about eternity now. I want you to visualize this if you can. In Revelation 21, verses 9 to 23, it tells us that there's going to be a great number of people there and a city to enjoy that is brilliant and glorious and beautiful. You notice the people who are there. The 12 tribes are represented. The apostles are there. The redeemed are there. The Old Testament saints are there. The New Testament saints are there. The city itself, this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, and to quote a current presidential candidate, it's huge. It's an enormous city. Keep laughing out loud so more people will understand it's a joke. That's good. Got one person to laugh. One person actually awake. So 1,400 miles tall, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400, 1,500 miles uh, deep. It's a, it's a cube of 14 to 1,500 miles. And it comes down out of heaven. It is, it is enormous. I mean, th this is just the, the new Jerusalem. This is the, this is the eternal city of the new Jerusalem. And cities are amazing. I mean, think about cities in and of themselves. There's life, there's culture, there's interest, there are people, there's food, there's music. Um, when you think about heaven and, and, and what I'm describing to you today, you may begin to fantasize about what your favorite part of heaven might be. You might say, well, it's going to be the scenery. It's going to be all the culture. It's going to be all the creativity. It's going to be the, 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 the warmth of the worship or, the, or the, the strength of the fellowship and community. And you may think that those are all going to be, or, or the place I live, you know, is going to be really spectacular. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I can tell you what the favorite part of heaven is going to be for me. I already know what it's going to be. It's the food. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have restrictions to my diet right now. Those will be lifted. Yeah. This is going to be really something. <laughs> you can come and just watch me eat if you want. You say, how can one guy eat that much? You, you just watch. It'll be an amazing thing. But you think about the size and diversity and the architecture and the interest of places in, in earthly cities right now, like Paris and London and New York and Hong Kong and Chicago. These are tiny little, little pin drops of places compared to the holy city. This is a city with... Three huge gates, uh, always open, guarded by these powerful angels. Uh, and look, this is John's best attempt to try to describe this. I mean, he's writing in the first century. I mean, literally, he's, you know, he's, got, he's got quill to parchment. He's just trying to, 
you know, write this stuff down. He's visualizing these things. He's, he has a vision of it, and he's trying to explain it. But, he, I mean, he's fallen way short. He has no reference to 2016, you know, special effects and movies and that sort of thing. I mean, he's just giving us the best shot he can. But it totally underestimates what's going on here. I think it's beyond our comprehension. I'm, fas- I'm fascinated by, by dimensional physics and and quantum physics and and you know and 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 time travel and th- those kinds of things just I like to try to get my mind around that and and for example you so you ask the question where is heaven where is heaven well heaven's up there we well, went up to heaven wait a minute <laughs> heaven heaven can't actually be up as we understand up use it in the vernacular I mean, standing on North America, where we are, if we say up, well, it's, you know, here's, this, here's the globe, North America's here, up is this way. But if we're, if we're in Asia right now, if that's, if that's up, that would be actually down for them, right? Be straight down. So it, heaven isn't up there. Heaven is just there. And probably dimensionally different than the world that we're in. We live in this three-dimensional world so that when you look at each other or look at a chair or look at this podium, you see it in 3D. You know, it, it has these three dimensions to it. It's not flat. It's not one or it's not two dimensions, but it's three-dimensional. Our minds can actually get out to about fourth dimension. Well, maybe there's a spiritual dimension I can imagine or a fifth dimension, and, that, and then our brains start to get, get stretched too far. But chances are probably... There are more than three dimensions, four or five. There's probably, who knows? God knows. Say there's 50 dimensions in the universe. <laughs> you know, and scientists are all uppity in our world right now. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And, you know, thinking that everything that is can be explained scientifically. And if it can't be explained yet, it will be eventually explained scientifically by the use of our five senses. And that's, that is so narrow. That is so feeble. That is so, so tiny in imagination that the known universe can be explained somehow through the five senses of human beings when probably there are, there, are parallel, there are parallel existences of things that God has created. And that's why heaven isn't up there. Heaven is just, it's just there. I think heaven is dimensionally different than the world in which we live, but just as real, maybe more real than the, than the reality that we understand and the dimension we live in. I just think in our earth suits, we can't reach it. So as long as we're in our earth suit, heaven is just just past where, it's just, it's just there. Just past where I can reach. That's why some of you, you know, your mother, your, your, your sainted mother has passed on. She's in heaven in the abode of God right now. And she's not up there somewhere. She's just there. there people will say, you know, I don't know what happened. I felt especially close to my mother today. I had a moment when I just felt mom was close. The reason you probably felt that is because she's really close. She's just right, she's just right there. Just dimensionally. I hope I'm not freaking you out. And I'm, you know, of course I'm speculating about these sorts of things. But I think heaven is close. I think when Paul said, you'll be, when you die, your heart stops, you'll be absent from your body and present with the Lord. It, it implies not only when you die, you go to be with Jesus, but it also means it's a short trip. I think the trip to heaven is just about like that. How, how long does it take to get just there? It wouldn't take long at all, would it? 
Heaven is close. Very close. The abode of God. So we we have this we have this wonderful promise of a city that is flowing and dynamic, where there's commerce and all kinds of neat things going on. Uh, and it's and it's just a completely different paradigm. For example, there's no sun or moon for light. God's presence will illuminate. No temple for worship. You don't have to go someplace to worship God. God will be ever-present, and worship will be part of our moment-by-moment experience. You want to worship God? Worship Him. He's here. He's right there. This actual, physical, literal, tangible place that Jesus has prepared for all who love Him is going to give you a new relationship with God, a new relationship with your past, satisfaction that is complete, and a new city to enjoy. And then on top of that, I just want to give you the whole picture according to Revelation 21 E on your outline, there will be a new earth with new nations. So just expand it out to an entire civilization, an eternal civilization with commerce and culture and capabilities to serve and love our God. Revelation 21, verse 24, and carrying into chapter 22, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord our God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amazing. There will be kings. There will be authorities. There will be art. There will be music. There will be culture. There will be commerce. There will be manufacturing. Uh, We need to learn this stuff. We need to realize this stuff as soon as possible because authentic worship is actually being a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ in every moment and every dimension of our lives. I mean, this is what we know to be true now. It's going to be true then. We should employ it now. I'm convinced that you will continue to do what you are gifted and wired and passionate to do. The way God has wired you in giftedness and talent and ability and call and passion and sense of Uh, purpose and destiny, the same things that you do now in a passionate way are the things that you'll be doing forever in a passionate way. I'm convinced that God will allow me from time to time to exclaim the great things of God. So I'll be doing that and whatever you will be doing, no matter what you do, you'll do it to the absolute best of your potential and then you'll bring that as an offering to God and as as a form of worship for your King. And that's essentially what God expects of us today. Think about it. When your neighbor knows by your love and good deeds that you're a follower of Jesus, that influences them. That's a good thing. When your boss sees you going the second mile, that impacts her life. When, when your teacher or coach observes you giving a maximum effort, listen, that, that, that impacts them and the culture around you. When your moral and relational life matches your testimony for Jesus, 
That's a life of worship and devotion to God. All the aspects of our lives should be an expression of our devotion and worship to Him. That's the way it's going to be in heaven. We're going to be busy. You, you may think, oh, we're just all going to be we're all going to be equal in heaven. We'll just all be there, you know, all in the same same boat. No, 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 no. The Bible teaches clearly that some guys get one talent, other guys get two, some get five, others get ten. If, if you're devoted and you follow Jesus and you exercise your potential and you develop your gifts and you honor God with your life in this life, listen to me, in the next life, it'll be the same thing. To the degree that you serve and honor and live for and worship God in this life is the degree that you will, you will have status and responsibility and opportunity to worship and honor God in the next life. That's why I joke with some of the people in our church. They are so devout. They are so precious. They are so, they are so godlike. They are so, like Je- so much like Jesus. That you ever been around people you feel conviction when you're around them? You, just don't, you feel like, well, I'm a little out of place here hanging with this guy. I feel that way about a bunch of people in our church. I joke with one of the women in our church. I said, listen, when I get to heaven, I just hope that when I look up to whatever level you're in, I can still see you from where I am. And she says, oh, you stop that. I'm, I'm not joking. Because she's going to be way up there compared to where I am in heaven. I know it. I just, I just want to get in. I want, you remember the old Cincinnati baseball stadium? If you, those of you who are old enough, you're in Cincinnati, the, the original stadium, they had AstroTurf everywhere, and then the seats were color-coordinated. So on the lower level, you know, they were blue, and then, the, then you had the green section, and then in the upper deck, they were all red. I don't know if you, some of you remember the Cincinnati Reds baseball stadium. And one of my friends joked with me one day, and he said, listen, I'm just trying to get in the red seats. <laughs> I can just get in the red seats in heaven. That would be good enough. But the summary statement may be when the one sitting on the throne says, I'm going to make all things new. That's it. That's it. The Apostle Paul had an experience. He reported it to us. And he said, look, I don't even know if I was in my body or out of my body. God gave me an experience. And he said, I was transported to a place. And I saw things and I heard things. I experienced things. And here's, he said, this is all, all I can say about it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has in store for them that love him. It's, it's big, and it's great, and it's wonderful. When I was a new Christian, Beth and I were in a little group. We used to sing a little chorus, and it went like this. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And then we'd shout at the end of that little chorus, I want to go there. Do you want to go? Do you want to go to heaven? I hope you do. Let's follow Dorothy one more time. Can you say it with me? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning for this glimpse into eternal life. How amazing. How exciting. Now let me ask, let me ask as you're in a, 
in a moment of prayer right now and you're, you're thinking about these things, let me ask you a few questions. Here's the first one. Do you, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? I mean, now that you've heard a brief description of heaven, wouldn't you like to go? And wouldn't it change your perspective on all the lesser things of this life? I mean, if you really had a, had a view toward heaven and you knew you were going, wouldn't that help you work through all the lesser things in this life? The Bible says that these things have been written in order that you might know you have eternal life. The Bible says that he who has the Son has life. And he who has not the Son of God has not the life. Now, friends, here's what I believe. You can know with certainty that you're bound for heaven. You can know that before you leave this room today. The Bible says, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I know, I know. But have you received, have you received the forgiveness and love he offers? Have you made Jesus your Savior and Lord? Have you received him into your life? And that's the simple prayer that makes you ready for heaven. Lord, I receive you. I receive you into my life. I receive your forgiveness. I give my life to you. I want you to be my Lord. Now, here's another question. Do your current priorities and passions, I mean, think about your own life right now, currently, your priorities and passions, do they reveal an eternal perspective or a temporal perspective? Are the things that your, are your priorities in your life, the things you're passionate about right now, are they focused on temporal things or are they focused on eternal things? So have you considered the implications carefully of the way you're utilizing your time and talents and treasure? A message about heaven, about eternity is a good opportunity for you to reflect on those values and maybe even in this prayer right now to reestablish your priorities. Lord, help me to be a forward-thinking and eternal perspective as I live my life. And then last question. Do you know anyone in your life who, if they died today, may not go to heaven? Do you know someone like that? And who do you think should share the hope of Christ with them? Who should do it? Will you think about that? Pray about that. So Lord, in all of these ways, we give you thanks and praise for this amazing promise, this blessed hope that we have. A place has been prepared, and all who know you will find entrance there. And Lord, so we are grateful and thankful for this hope that does not disappoint, because there is no place like home. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. All right, would you stand with us now as we sing?